Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Britainology. Um, I'm Milo Edwards, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Neighbor Thay. Hello, it's a lovely day. Perhaps some of the mm. last nice end-of-summer weather that we will potentially get, although it already feels like autumn, let's be perfectly honest. Yeah. And soon it'll become the eternal British season of gray and wet and cold and dark. <laughs> Our absolute favorite. Yeah, it's kind of an unseasonably warm September day yeah. today. As opposed to unseasonably cold all of August and mostly all of July <laughs> and pretty much all of June, too. Yeah, I mean, we love to see it, don't we? It's we, just... we really needed a nice summer after the lockdowns and misery of the previous winter. And mm. what we got was not that. No, no, we did not. We did not get that. The, the truest part of Britainology is, of course, the weather analysis at the start of every show. Yes. Because there's nothing more British than the weather. Well, exactly. Because when you hate literally everyone you encounter, but you feel obligated to make conversation with them, it is one of the few safe topics mm. uh, that one can complain about while not uh, expressing an opinion about anything that really matters. That is very true. Yeah. The only, the only safe political topic in Britain is the weather, which everyone hates. Um, I've just had to open up Google Drive to get my notes up and I love that now every time I open up Google Drive it's like did you know you can block people on Google Drive now <laughs> in case the beef from the TL is really it, spilling over it's very over. funny to me sometimes because some of the shows that I produce people upload their files to like a Google Drive folder you know for each mm. episode and the block that person button is immediately adjacent to the download the file button and it's just very very funny to me it's just sort of like it's like I'm wavering like I might produce this episode or, but I might say fuck you and just ban yeah. you from your own show <laughs> you're bad yeah you wield so much power as the producer just exactly. start producing episodes and just leaving one track out entirely that's how the Joker produces podcasts yeah there's just long silence. just randomly randomly blocks people and refuses their audio mm, that makes sense yeah to the Joker this is a normal podcast <laughs> this is exactly. a regular future um, yeah so this week on Britainology uh, we're talking about the most British thing imaginable Alan Partridge. That's correct. Um, it's been mooted for a while doing this episode, and I wasn't quite sure how to tackle it because usually we talk about things that suck, and Alan Partridge is actually really good. Um, but I think what I've decided is we have to put Alan Partridge in its wider British context. So um, I, uh, against Nate's will, made him watch the episode uh, Brave Alan, which is uh, season two, episode three of I'm Alan Partridge, uh, which you might be more familiar with as the Dan episode. Um, and I think it's safe to say that Nate took some psychic damage from this. I really don't do well with concentrated awkwardness in shows. Mm. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, very funny show, but I can't watch it because it's just that sort of thing nonstop. It's just not mm. my thing. I don't like concentrated awkwardness. And this show is so much of that. Mm. Uh, and this particular episode was so much of that that I was just like, I wasn't just cringing in terms of like my like, reaction in spirit mm. i was like white knuckling my phone and like gripping my own head just like i cannot fucking believe i'm watching this it's so so awkward i mean i get a lot of references now of things that you guys have talked about on the show before where you yeah. bring up partridge but mm. yeah uh i i was not prepared for how much awkwardness i was going to experience and mm. uh yeah it it's it, it says what it it does what it says on the tin yeah, I picked this one because it's it's kind of the most, it's probably the most referenced Partridge episode. Like, if you watch this one episode, you'll probably understand a lot more of, like, classic intercourse. Sonia, yeah, yeah. these, uh, Lynn, these are sex people. Um, you know, all of the, all of the classics. Um, I, I think uh, Lynn, these are sex people is something I say probably on an at least a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, 
Yeah, so the basic plot of the episode we watched is that um, Alan, who loves hanging out there, because I think one of the things I want to get at in this episode is that sort of Alan Partridge is like a kind of archetypal British dad. Like, it is a bit like, it's interesting that you brought up Curvy Enthusiasm, because I also have that in my notes. Like, Alan Partridge is kind of like a sort of British Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, it's not quite, he's not quite as, he's styled as a bit more of a like dickhead and a fool guy than Larry David is in Curb Your Enthusiasm, but he still has this kind of thing where he's like, he's like an asshole, but he's also often right. It's like this sort of like a, um, but and he's kind of stupid, but he's still smarter than a lot of the people around him. Um, And so it's kind of like weird, like, anti-hero type type figure um but yeah like the 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 basics of alan partridge is just like he likes everything that like the most stereotypical middle-class dad would like uh like he listens to roachford he drives a lexus um he knows a lot of things about like screen wash and ordnance survey maps and refers to himself as buying sweets for the glove box um the true he wears driving gloves yes yes he wears driving gloves um and uh, he has like a number of petty disputes and rivalries which come up in this episode, like with the fellow late night DJ Dave Clifton, uh, who he always manages to like bicker with in the show handover. Um, so the show is always like the concept of Alan Partridge is that he used to be a TV star and then he's he like had like a big uh, sort of um, disgrace moment from TV and so he's had to become a local radio DJ back in his home county of Norfolk um, but he likes to think of himself as like a big deal in the Norfolk area uh, and so in this episode he's hanging out at the petrol station uh, with his friend Michael who works at the petrol station um, so in the first season of Alan Partridge he's living in a hotel um, and, and uh, Michael is like the handyman at the hotel and then the second season Michael's now living in a caravan while he's waiting for his house to be built and uh, Michael is working at the petrol station, uh, Michael being uh, immediately when Michael started talking, Nate was like, "What the fuck is that accent?" Yeah, I was like, "I know Norfolk accents are weird, but not that weird." Yeah, no, it's extremely Geordie. Um, and so, like, there's this kind of weird dynamic where, like, uh, Alan has all these people that he wishes he was friends with, that are, like contemptuous of Alan, but he also has all the people he's actually friends with who he is contemptuous of. Uh, so like Michael, his assistant Lynn, who's in love with him, but who he treats terribly. <laughs> um, and uh, while he's in the petrol station, he meets Dan because another man pulls up in Lexus, which uh, uh, Michael points out. And they have, this is another like extremely quoted exchange in Partridge where they're like, oh yeah, I, lo- I love Lexi. <laughs> Dan basically looks like sexual Ed Miliband. That was what that's what I kept flashing through my mind was that he basically looks like if Ed Miliband opened the collar of his shirt, didn't wear an undershirt and had a gold chain. He basically Mm. was that guy. Yeah. Dan's played by Stephen Mangan, who uh, is will be familiar to people who've watched British comedy. He's in like Green Wing and some other shows. Um uh yeah and they they just realize that they love all of the same things uh dan owns kitchen planet off the a416 uh one of the things that partridge really nails is like details of ephemera just like the sort of thing that like a guy who thinks of himself in as a big deal in like a regional sense would be like oh kitchen planet on the a416 classic it's only the biggest kitchen showroom in europe um like that that level of just like detailed obsession is like i don't know it really it really nails a certain kind of every time you ever do the anorak voice you sound like alan partridge which makes me Mm. think that that he's sort of like within that general wheelhouse of of like 
could be an anorak, but isn't necessarily, but he's like predisposed towards that same, that sort of like fixated personality. Mm. Uh, he definitely seems like he comes across as someone who has no idea what's going on, but uh, yeah, you know, yeah. is, is sort of narrating dumb shit around him like a radio DJ, but has <laughs> zero idea of what's actually happening. Mm. Um, I mean, I get it. It's a comedy show. Uh, it's, it's, it's tailored to the British sensibility, but having seen this, like I'm appreciative that I now get the jokes to some mm. extent, but I would definitely not watch this. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more awkward episodes that you watch, but like definitely the, the whole thing with Partridge is being super awkward. I mean, there's another really famous episode uh, where he goes, basically there's a guy who's the controller at the BBC channel that he wants to get back on, who he hates, who dies suddenly, and and then uh, one of Alan's friends becomes the controller of the channel, so he's pretty sure he's going to get back on TV, and he goes to this guy's funeral in order to like network with the BBC people there. Um and there's a point where he's like talking to the widow and he's being like uh oh, yeah it's such a it's such a shame you know what was he doing up on the roof and then and then he like spots someone that he wants to net- network with and he's like would it be terribly rude if i left you and went and spoke to someone else <laughs> <laughs> and then as he turns around you see, he's wearing like a black jacket and then as you turn around you just see that the jacket says castrol gtx on the back <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so this this is this is primed to make me blow all my circuits and like run mm. from the room in terror exactly like i just i just and i don't even think this is a particularly american tendency i know alice's husband chris has the same tendency mm. i think that like you either have it or you don't and i know plenty of like one of my best friends from america uh, extremely american loves uh curb your enthusiasm really loves that michelin web look like mm. awkwardness doesn't phase him at all uh he's 100 into that but I just can't handle it. Like it's just, it's just, it's just unpleasant. Yeah, some things I do find too. Like Peep Show, I would say is more cringe than this. And like, there are some points in Peep Show where I'm a bit like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just where they're eating the fucking dog because they're having to <laughs> pretend that it's like some barbecue because they don't want to admit to this woman that they killed her dog and then tried to cremate it to hide the evidence. It's <laughs> 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 going, mmm, delicious barbecue. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, no, that that I was watching that like, oh. Yeah. I, I remember there was a show when I was a kid. Uh, it, it was in some markets in the U.S. It was called the John Leguizamo show, and in others it was called House of Buggin. Uh, it was like a sketch comedy <laughs> show. That sounds like a bit, just like the John Leguizamo show, or as it was also known House, House of, of Buggin. Buggin. Yeah, it was called House of Buggin when I where I lived in uh, in New Mexico, and I think West Coast markets got it that, but like on the East Coast they called it something different. And we got to ba- market it to the Italians on the East Coast. Well, remember, John Leguizamo was Puerto Rican, and um, he he did. It was basically like. The best way to describe it is sort of like Latino sketch comedy. It was really funny, but it definitely crossed into some like some just like deeply fucking uncomfortable stuff. Okay. And it's weird to me because it's like as a kid, I just thought that was hilarious. Like, and now I mm. now I'm just sort of like like um, they would do these things where basically they they would like recreate urban legends that you know go around people's stories and things like that. And there was one about like you know the guys who got they they, they ordered KFC and they wound up eating rats by mistake and stuff like that. And it would just be like really really gross at times or like really like like uncomfortably sexual and like it's weird because yeah as like an 11 year old mm. i watched this and i'm like oh it's funny whatever ha huh? that's funny and now it's just mm. like i can't like if i try to watch even like a mundane curb your enthusiasm at uh, curb your enthusiasm episode it's just like i cannot handle this shit i don't know why i don't know what switch mm. got flipped in me but watching this literally within five minutes like as soon as he left the radio station i was just like 
Yeah, I mean, there was, of course, a gag about level 42. It was, so, I appreciate yeah. it. I don't even like level 42 that much, but the fact that I like them at all made you lose your mind. <laughs> and now you love to make fun of me for it, even though like, I genuinely like two songs by level 42. Mm. Uh, I think Brit Funk in general was pretty good, but like, I don't know that much about it. So you want to own me for that, mm. whatever. Like, you know, I think it was just because you're American and I couldn't believe you were even aware. Like, Level 42 is such a like particular kind of like British dad music. Well, yeah, we that think it's like, the era it came out in too. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Well, that song, Something About Us. Like, it's Alan Partridge. Like, yeah. that's the, yeah. Uh, was it Something About Us or Something About You? I can't remember what the exact mm. title. That was a huge hit in America. Like I can remember mm. hearing that on the radio as a kid and stuff like that. Right, but okay. like that's why I know them. Not because mm. I'm like, you know, making hij- making fucking pilgrimage to England so I can like complete my fandom of early 80s fucking <laughs> soft rock dance music. <laughs> if I was going to do that shit, it would be for fucking Duran Duran. All right. Mm. So get it straight. You'll come to Essex. Exactly. Oh, wait, no, they're from Birmingham. They're from Birmingham, they? no, yeah. It's just Depeche Mode are from Essex, Yeah, correct. Of course. You know, they're good too, but I think they, they, they got out of... Fucking fu- electronic music geezers. I mean, it is funny when you think about how many of uh, the like luminaries of Brit- second, second British Invasion, electronic, you know, synth pop music are not just from Essex, but they're all literally from, from... the Netherlands. From, well, no, well, they're from the <laughs> Netherlands too. But, but hilariously, they are all actually from... Like, there's so many from Basildon. Why mm. I have no idea, but you know it's a thing. Like if you if you like that music, you got to go to England, I guess, to appreciate it. Uh, and Las Vegas and we'll only hang out with boomers because they're the only ones who still like that shit. Grew up on the Las Vegas Strip, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, level forty two. I did, of course, get that joke. I didn't realize it had such a connotation as being mm. like pure dad music in uh, in the UK. But yeah, uh, I love the radio. Like every every Alan Partridge episode, much like the Seinfeld episodes, are like bookended with the bits. Like uh, Partridge episodes are usually bookended with clips of him doing his radio show, um, which are always great because like the one at the start of this episode is the phone in, uh, where it's like what ha- what happens after we die, and like. It's just, it's perfectly pitched because British radio phone-ins are so insane. I mean, I know you have your own kind of insane radio, but in like in Britain, there's like a kind of, there's a subtle madness to it that's really infectious. And like, this is just like perfectly pitched. Like what happens after we die? And it's like, oh yeah, like whatever the guy's name is, uh, he has he has three beautiful children, including a new, a new baby girl, Sarah. And he thinks that after we die, there is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just like, this is level 42. <laughs> like that amazing switch from something like really bleak and then straight into like some music from the 80s is- well, i mean we just had the leading britain's conversations you know uh fucking snap that got put around all over social media about the the woman calling in and being like well if afghans didn't work for the british government then their lives are not worth anything more than dogs save the dogs instead i prefer the dogs and people just be like hey she's entitled to her opinion so mm. yes i'm aware british uh british call-in radio is uh yeah a bit much and this is uh, this is something i really love about partridge because it's it's a satire of like a certain kind of British guy, but also it's an amazing satire of British media. And I think the longer I've spent working in like media or media adjacent sphere, mm-hmm. you see, you just see it everywhere. So I want to talk about some real life partridges. Okay. Um, and I think we would, we, it would be a miss of us not to begin with fucking Richard Maidley. Okay. Um, so I'm going to play you a short video. We can cut the audio from this in because sure. it's this is just a compilation of like Richard Madeley's most Alan Partridge moments. Just to explain who Richard Madeley is, um, he is like a British kind of TV personality in that manner of like, no one can really tell you what he initially got famous for. Like, he's just a guy. 
who's on TV. Like, it's that kind of... Um, and he has a wife who's... I guess he's probably in his, like, late 50s now. He has a wife who's, like, quite a lot older than him. She's probably in, like, her mid-70s called Judy Finnegan. And they had a, they had a long-running, like, daytime sort of talk magazine show called Richard and Judy where they would have, like, a book club and, like, all this kind of... Just really weird... Um, and uh, I remember a few years ago, there was some, like, Richard Maynard gave some interview where he talked about, like, the string of lovers he had before Judy Finnegan. And someone, I think it might have been Johnny Vaughan, who's a British radio DJ, started calling him Richard Sex Maidley. And I've just, <laughs> I've never been able to get over it. It's gone six o'clock. Look who's here. Hello. Morning, TV right. legend yeah. Richard Maidley. You see, I fluffed my first link. Um, and here is Alex with the first link today's weather. Hello. Hello. Good morning. My daughter fences okay? you, by the way. You look at the beach and you think, ah, oh, pretty, pretty. Lovely golden sand. That's safe. Yeah. Uh-uh, not in certain parts of the country. Quicksand. And a horrible way to die. Why should I not be allowed a GMT or a glass of wine with the meal on yeah. a flight because of these idiots? <laughs> Having knocked someone out, which means you've given them brain damage, that's medically speaking. Do you make a lot of money? <laughs> Are you rich? Are you rich? Uh, yeah. Are you? Come on, it's a serious question. Are you able to make good money? Just, yeah, I just want to know. Yeah. I just want to know if, no, if there's money no, to no. be made. I'm not. I'm not yeah, uh, it used to be, you just used to see a guy beaten to a pulp, basically. You know Gabby Roslin, the presenter? Mm. Once I saw her in a restaurant and I was chatting to her and she was super thin and slim and looking great. And I said, I said Gabby, are you, are you expecting? <laughs> so she went, no, what are you suggesting? It was all right, we had a laugh. Um, now, probably because of all the programming that I've done, particularly with Judy, about anorexia and eating disorders, I'll say this, I probably would have clocked it. And then Judy got pregnant very quickly again. It was an accident. Sorry, Chloe, but it's you were, and you know it. And you know it. The very first time I appeared on live television was on This Morning. It happened to be modelling raincoats. Yes. <laughs> when she mentioned it. All right, then let's move on. Here's Lucy with her first look at today's weather. And this morning, she's up on the ITV roof. <laughs> <laughs> just just absolutely incredible it is it is interesting to me that this is definitely based like alan partridge is an exaggeration of a type of guy but that that guy does exist what you know what the thing is i do, it's almost as though like alan partridge is like barely even an exaggeration of someone like richard madeley like when you i mean maybe it's like the 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 real like the persona of alan partridge like not on the radio is an exaggeration but the persona of alan partridge's radio show it, it's it's barely even satire it's almost like a blow for blow recreation of an exact like the bit where richard Madeley was like the beach seems pretty fun not for some though can be dangerous quicksand a horrible way to die like that is exactly <laughs> something that alan partridge would do on his radio show yeah i mean that's uh it's hmm. it's wild to me because yeah I I would have thought that this was a huge send up yeah and like they've created you know a sort of radio DJ Mr Bean kind of just mm. just perfect idiot but you're right it's not that dissimilar to some of the people that are actually on and TV. these people earn millions I mean that because there's even a bit in this Alan Partridge episode where he's doing the Alan's deep bath segment. And he, like the concept of it is like supposed to be like a kind of like, you know, like the sexy, sensual late night radio thing. And it's like Alan's deep bath and they're playing at slow jams and whatever. And he's going like, oh, yeah, just just uh, get the suds going and close your eyes. Listen, listen to the sounds of the music washing over you. And then he goes like, try not to slip under some terrifying statistics about that. <laughs> <laughs> just perfect, just pitch perfect madely. Um yeah, there was another there was another actual Richard Madeley recently. And this is another way in which sort of like uh Madeley and like Jeremy Vine, who we'll get on to, they embody Partridge in the sense that like there were a lot of British radio and TV personalities, like people like, I don't know, like Nick Ferrari or Ian Dale, who were just cunts. Like they're just yeah, they're just absolutely, horrible. Yeah. Um and they're not 
they can be a bit partridge sometimes. But the thing about partridge is it's like kind of there's a, there's a sort of there's like a reasonableness to him. Like he takes things too far, but it's not like a, he's not supposed to be like a cunt. He's supposed to be like kind of like uncouth and a bit of an asshole but like he's not in, supposed in a to sort be of bad. like unself-aware way not yeah. necessarily in like a deliberately being a twat kind of way yeah he's like he's not like callous um and i think this is something you can kind of say of someone like madeley because like he's often sort of like weirdly right but in a kind of it's just such a bizarre way there was he got he was going viral recently because um uh shamima begum's been back in the news um and uh, they were doing like a like a texting thing on his tv show about whether she should be let back into Britain or not. And obviously they were getting lots of insane messages. Yeah. And, uh, and then Maidley's like, he's like well, well I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. After, wo- after World War II, we put a lot of the Nazis on trial at Nuremberg. And we even, we even hung a lot of them. But we never did that with the Hitler Youth, did we? <laughs> 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 never went after the Hitler Youth. I think, but interesting that, first thinking about. <laughs> just like- like I sort of understand the point that he was making that like yeah she's a child and that you know she was groomed and this sort of thing but like kind of and so he is sort of right but it's like just kind of this like absolutely bizarre angle 100% um, yeah yeah and so that's that's kind of that's the soul of a certain kind of guy uh I also wanted to talk about a Jeremy Vine phone in um regular listeners to Trash Future and followers of me on Twitter will be aware that I am a massive Jeremy Vine head um I think Jeremy Vine he fascinates me like the the radio show that he does he's on radio 2 which is like the most like your mum ass thing to listen to on BBC radio they play like kind of pop music ish but like from like whatever era it's kind of it has like really safe like Gen Xer and boomer presenters um like very like easy listening type shit but like the call-ins and stuff they have are absolutely deranged so uh let's do a clip from Jeremy Vine because ELO, hold on tight. We'll talk about ISIS in a second. Just think about the uh, caller we had yesterday who said that they were demonic and satanic. Can we put them on a spectrum of evil? Love you to call on that. 0500 288 yesterday we were discussing Islamist militants in Iraq. But are these Sunni Muslim extremists, ISIS, in a different category of evil? How do they compare to the mass murderers of the past? Where do they stand on the historic spectrum of evil? Can you even put them on it? Do we have to go back to the <laughs> Nazis <laughs> to find anyone as wicked as this lot? So good. 0500 288 291. Do call us 0500. I say the number. Email vine at bbc.co.uk. John in Hertfordshire emails, when I hear people talk about ISIS, how they've not seen such brutality since the Nazis. Let's not forget Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia in the 70s when they murdered two million. The similarities with ISIS are shocking. We're looking at the spectrum of evil. We're saying are this lot the most wicked lot we've seen since Hitler's gang. 12.30. It's so good. It's the transition from like, are they as evil as the Khmer Rouge? And then just like fading in some fucking Albert 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 in Southern California. Let's just do a few more comments talking about ISIS. Then we're going to move on. Home uh, for sure. about ISIS. With some relief. Patrick Ude in Aberdeen says, ISIS are purely evil. We should just fight fire with fire. I don't know what, I don't know what that means if you've seen them beheading people. <laughs> 
trying to understand them is wrong, but we should not go down that road. I believe the Nazis were also evil, but they were slightly more humane <laughs> than ISIS. <laughs> Andrew Doak emails of course they're not the most evil thing since the Nazis what about Bosnia Rwanda the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia somebody also mentioned Shining Path in Peru <laughs> one of the more as well. niche every day says Andrew there path. are rapes in the Congo humans are just bad coming up next the brick shortage in perfect. the UK pitch perfect partridge going from genocide to brick shortage the national brick shortage why do we need bricks anyway can't you build a house without them haven't they got clever ways of just bringing in a truck with a wall and dropping it there the noises you can hear are from John White a bricklayer John hi Hello there. I love the sound. And it reminds me of, as a child, actually, somebody built a wall and I used to just watch them doing it. And of course, it's one of the best skills because you can. I, what I asked you or just off microphone before we start is if, I, if you taught me how to lay bricks, I, I genuinely want to learn. Mm. Could I then build a house? Uh, it depends how long we're talking. You know, well, give it a year. year. I think oof, we're pushing it. At what point would I use a plumb line? Uh, plumb line? No, we don't really use plumb lines. Anymore. I thought you had to drop it from a piece of string. Ooh. Not not nowadays, yeah. What no, uh, now? lasers now. A laser? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This conversation about bricks in the meeting is the longest conversation we've had for years okay. on any story. Um, are you against pebble dashing? Uh, of course I am. Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Why does anyone Absolutely do that? Absolutely awful. Um, Should it be made illegal? <laughs> I think so, yes. God damn it. It's just so good. Oh, my God. Well, you love... you. I know. I know you love... Because you commute so much, you mm. love listening to talk radio and just like it's fodder for bits, but also like I don't know, it, yeah. it, it feels as though you're sort of you, you're sort of jacked into the British Matrix when you're driving, you know, you're mm. driving in from Essex, crossing over, and and listening to this shit on the radio. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like my mom has the radio on all day for company, so like if I'm ever at home, like she, and she'll listen to radio too. But I often, and it's amazing because she like. And I think this is how a lot of people consume this stuff. She just like listens to the radio, but she's not remotely paying attention to it. But like I kind of have that kind of brain where if something like it, it will just it will just catch my attention. And yes. so like I'll periodically be like, Mom, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> like Jeremy Vine's having a fucking phone in about how evil ISIS are and asking people to rate them on a scale of evil. Um, and then like my mum will be like, oh, I'm not really listening to it. And I'm like, how can you not listen to this? <laughs> like, how is someone... Um, another great Jeremy Vine one was he was having a phone in about uh, what the loudest appliances were because uh, it was like, it, there was something like, um, some people are saying that some household appliances are louder than a petrol lawnmower. Um, and then uh, someone phoned in and was like, oh, I've got a really loud kettle. And he's like, okay, so he like puts the kettle on. He's like, oh yeah, that's that's quite loud. And then uh, and he's like, and I've brought my lawnmower in the house for comparison. <laughs> and then Jerry Vine's like, no, there's no need. And he just like starts the lawnmower, which is obviously deafening. And he's like, it's quite loud. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you can turn it off now. And he's going, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just I don't know. But the, yeah, that whole thing about just like, yeah, every day, says Andrew, there are rapes in the Congo. Coming up next, the brick shortage in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an extent to which I, uh, I find myself just really, really confused by this because the affect of American talk radio is very different. Mm. And I know you spent time in the US. I don't know how much of you've heard, but it's, it's yeah, mm. you know, news commentary, terrible skits, terrible songs, stuff that goes on way too long, uh, shock jock stuff. Um, if you're familiar, 
listeners, if you're familiar with Street Fight Radio, mm. uh, the great podcast out of Columbus, Ohio, they do a lot of bits talking about like the heyday of horrible shock jocks in the 90s mm. and 2000s and like recapping and doing like profiles on the awful. When we say shock jocks, like what we mean by this is sort of talk radio hosts on either AM or FM radio who just like their whole thing is just being like uh, contrarian mm. or transgressive or just like trying to shock you. And just like, you know, Howard Stern is the great example of this, but there are a lot of like low rent Howard Stern impersonators uh, who kind of or like go in that in that vein of things mm. of the sort of Andrew Dice Clay genre of comedy, but done on on radio where like mm. there's a limit to the dirty words you can say, but like they're constantly doing shit. I mean, the big thing, the big kind of, you know, stock uh, kind of like punching bag for them was just like being misogynist or like making mm. gay jokes or stuff like that. Mm. Um, and it's weird how much that stuff's changed even since when I was a kid, because like there was a more or less informative, uh, there was a show called love phones that was on the radio. That was like a sex advice show that came on at like oh my God. 10 PM. Um, and it was like, there was a woman host who was a, like a sex therapist, mm-hmm. like a doctor. And then they just had like a guy who was just like a talk radio comedian, shock jock guy. And so she mm-hmm. would like give sex advice and he would just kind of make fun of callers and play drops and stuff like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there would, there would be, you know, when people would call in and something about being gay or having gay sex or am I gay or something like that, he would play like, uh, there was one drop of a very obviously was supposed to be gay man saying you, or, <laughs> or he would play another one that was the quote from, um, if you're familiar with the movie Friday, when the guy's talking about how his dad's talking about how he loves being a dog catcher because he hates dogs and, uh, mm. and then basically just beating the shit out of dogs or kicking a dog in the ass and just going bang, bang, bang up his ass. And like that, <laughs> they would use that fucking drop all the time. And this is not a show, like I said, is notionally meant to be informative. Imagine t- like messaging into that show when you like having listened to it before, like being like, yeah, I, I want to get some advice. And also I want to play a drop that says bang, bang, bang up his ass. Yeah, exactly. Um, and some of the call, I mean, my God, some of the callers were insane, but it was a different kind of insane. This is like a weird sort of pedestrian, like not self-aware insane. Mm. Whereas like the guy calling up love phones and talk about how like he's, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, I ain't had a girlfriend in a long time, but found something that's worked in the meantime, right? So like I'm a microwave, uh, I cut a hole in a watermelon and I microwave it for about 30 seconds and I sex the hell out of that thing. <laughs> like that kind of stuff coming. I remember this from when I was like 13 listening to this show avidly. Um mm. And uh, it's just, it was a very, very different. I mean, like, I'm not even talking about like the Rush Limbaugh style shit, which yeah, is like, yeah, obviously, yeah. Like, the reason why Mike Pence is a politician is just because of AM talk radio, like conservative mm-hmm. talk radio, like that kind of stuff. Well, I'm just talking about like the pedestrian kind of weird shit. Like, mm. absolutely, we have it. It's just not like this. Mm. I've never heard an American talk show being like, ISIS, can you rate them on a spectrum? Call in yeah. with your examples. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. There's like a real, there's a rich rain running through, uh, rich vein rather running through British talk radio of like just encouraging the British public to have like weird opinions or like just to have like to like voice their opinion on something which obviously nobody knows about. I mean, a, a, a debate they often refer to back a lot when I think about this stuff, and the, um, this is also Jeremy Vine, I think, was they were having a debate about having a four day working week, which was like pretty normal for Jeremy Vine, but they had uh like a guy who was like an economist from Oxford on there basically explaining the case for a four day week and then they had someone else on the line who was like just a guy <laughs> and then and then these economists is being like yeah well I mean you know I think they will actually increase productivity and you know people will have more free time and it was basically a win-win and then this guy is going yeah but that's bollocks <laughs> and then this professor is sort of going like well why is it bollocks and he's like 
Well, I think it's bollocks. <laughs> just like, what? Don't like it. It's a duel. Yeah, exactly. Like just like that. And in Britain, that qualifies as a debate. It's like, well, here's a guy who's like researched this thing for thirty years, and here's a guy who thinks it's bollocks. I'm right. It's really funny because that's like the real world, real world version of the uh, the Onion. May still do this, but they used to do this thing, the point mm. counterpoint, where it would just be like, like a very obvious, uh, like basically two incredibly stupid opinions mm. or like like a normal opinion and a completely insane opinion that was like the point counterpoint mm. and the one i remember the most was like right around the time the u.s was about to invade iraq it mm. was like this war will will set off you know a a generational conflict and destabilize the entire region versus the, the counterpoint was no it won't and it's just like it's basically that yeah like that but but yeah. you're saying british radio is doing this for real yeah exactly but a lot of it is really mundane and i think that's the best uh the best comedy it seems of it. like I, what they're looking for is like the most unself-aware eccentric opinions mm. like as much as people act shocked they they genuinely want to hear that or yeah. at least the producers want to hear it because they know it'll make people laugh and be like can you believe this idiot etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah i've just been uh name searching myself and jeremy vine on twitter to uh re- recall some of his best moments i've noticed that for a lot of them i've used this same screen cap from alan partridge as the image um this is a great one uh jeremy vine on radio 2 is reading out people's home injury stories and just said then he fell from the ladder and the shears went through his eye here's roxy music <laughs> It's just so good. <laughs> it's perfect. Like it genuinely, as a comedian, you're like, you're like, I can't top that. Like it's so well judged. Like it's. This is what I mean when it's like Partridge is non exaggeration. Like it's just like what Steve Coogan is good at doing is like replicating it in the yeah. same way that like people were like so bad at replicating Trump, and that was why Trump parodies were so bad because Trump himself is so funny. Like as a Trump parody, the best you can do is really just like a faithful sort of interpretation sure, of what yeah. Trump would say about something. Here's another one. Jeremy Vine just had a woman call in about her 10 siblings in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who are still alive and then said, and you're all still alive. Crikey. Have any of you had any brushes with death? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely wonderful. In a way, Keith James is the most normal British DJ. Mm. Well, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Jeremy Vine is on the radio suggesting quarantine could be a good time to go back to having weekly bonfires in your garden like his dad used to do. Someone just texted into Jeremy Vine. To, I didn't even realize that I posted about Jeremy Vine this much. Someone just texted into Jeremy Vine to complain that their neighbors are having constant hot tub parties where they play loud music and have quote unquote vile conversations. <laughs> Lynn, these are sex people. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into the plot of the, of, of the episode yet. We haven't even gotten oh, to the fuck, explanation yeah. of that. But it, please continue on this riff, though. I appreciate it. I did want to remember. Um, there was because I, I think this is it's so Jeremy Vine. Uh, oh yeah, if you're wondering how Britain is doing during the crisis, Jeremy Vine is currently on Radio Two hosting a heated debate between a jogger and a dog walker about who is more entitled to their space on the pavement. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, Jeremy Vine is like a guy who, like, I mean that that radio show is absolutely insane. But also, like, it's usually Jeremy Vine kind of like raising his eyebrow at people being insane. It's not like nick ferrari or something where he's being like yeah like fucking you know whatever push back the asylum boats or whatever the fuck like jeremy vine is like he kind of has like a sort of 
like a sort of soft left sensibility, I would say, um, in a very like boomer sort of way. But like, he's quite like, um, uh, he will often say things on talk radio that are like surprisingly left wing by like British broadcasting mm-hmm. standards. Like, I remember like during the pandemic, he was having something where he was doing a phone in about, um, like, uh, uh, remuneration and wages and stuff in Britain. He was saying, yeah, because now we've, we've kind of realized that a hospital cleaner is sort of more useful than a lot of chief executives. <laughs> and I was like, what? Someone's saying what? this on British radio. Yeah, exactly. Like, what the fuck is going on? Um, but yeah, I remember there was a great, there's a great moment in Alan Partridge where um, he's really, he's really pissed off the farmers because he said something about farmers on the radio. I can't even remember what it was. Something about how they're all like genetically modifying chickens or something. And uh, and so he's got all these farmers like angrily calling in his radio show to yell at him. But he's trying to have a phone in competition about guessing who invented the skip. <laughs> <laughs> and so they thought we were going in like, you should be ashamed of yourself. And he's going, who invented the skip? <laughs> Eventually, the guy, the guy's like, I don't know who invented the bloody skip, Bobby Moore. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. yeah. So periodically, I'm just like, who invented the skip? Um, but yeah, the plot of the episode, he meets Dan. We then get a scene back at uh, Alan Partridge's uh, static caravan where he lives, where he has an Amstrad emailer. Um, and uh, his Ukrainian girlfriend, Sonia, who's like a mail order bride, is like uh, doing lots of practical jokes on him, like giving him a sandwich with a plastic egg in it and a whoopee cushion and stuff. And he's like just exasperated by this. Um, and then she, while he's on the phone to Dan, she attacks him with a rubber hammer and he's like, oh, that's just my Ukrainian girlfriend. She's, she's mildly cretinous. <laughs> just like, I knew when I heard that line, I was like, oh my God, this is this is absolute catnip for Milo's sense of humor. Like, <laughs> this is just premium, the kind of shit that would stick, rattle around in your skull forever after the first time you heard it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it won't surprise you to learn that at university, I was a big, I was a big partridge head. So I was always, always quoting that shit. Not, not a surprise at all. He comes in, he just walks in, walking into the shot in the static caravan, doing up his trousers and sticking on the extractor fan and saying, "Sonia, that was classic intercourse." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Lynn comes round and she's telling him about her like new sort of like. Male gentleman friend. caller yeah. type guy uh, and he tries to convince her that he's a con man that he's interested in a building society book <laughs> um, and then yeah she's talking about how they got stranded at the place because it was raining and she's like and we just kept laughing and saying we're stuck and he's like Lynn you're laughing at weather you're like <laughs> your mother in the last few weeks um, yeah and then uh, so Dan invites him to go and present an award at the Norfolk Bravery Awards again such a powerful British vibe. I think the fact that when the, you get there and it's the Coleman Mustard Presents Norfolk Bravery Awards, I was like, mm. all right, I do actually get that reference. Yeah. Good on you. We love to see it. Yeah. there's a, Yeah. Partridge has a great way of like imagining things that aren't real, but so easily could be the Coleman's and the Mustard Norfolk Bravery Awards. It's very funny to me because my mom's whole family is from Norfolk. So like mm. I've not spent any time there aside from like a very brief period as a little kid. But like it is very interesting to see how it's sort of portrayed as like this extreme backwater but also like full of people who are kind of uh believe themselves to be very important mm. and uh yeah i mean i i feel like i'm from a state that's basically that so i absolutely understand it you know like mm. it's just uh it's an interesting vibe but it also doesn't really shy away from making everything look not sorted but just like kind of frumpy mm. like kind of just what's the right word here like a little disheveled and very very parochial i think that's the right word yeah 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we cut to him like they they drive there, and then Sonia's doing practical jokes in the car, and he help he uses Lynn to help him like confiscate this fake beard that she's using and throw it out of the sunroof. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they get there, they get to the car park, and then we have this like incredible, like probably the most famous Partridge scene where he spots Dan from across the car park and just yells Dan like four hundred times, but he doesn't turn around. He's like, "I'll, I'll get him later." Um. And uh, then we have the Bravery Awards. He's presenting a Bravery Award to a woman who lost her hand in a cake-cutting machine. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many great details in this. Like, uh, I don't know. He's giving this speech about how, you know, she got in a taxi with her severed hand and the taxi driver was quick thinking and stopped at a corner shop where it was packed in lots of uh, magnums, mini milks, ice lollies and a feast. <laughs> they sewed the hand back on. It didn't work. Um... <laughs> But she now she now works at like some admin job at a bailiff's, and then and then he's like, let's give a big hand to Sue. Oh, uh, I mean, a, a, applause. <laughs> then we cut to them in the party, and then she's the, the same woman is like taking stuff off the bu- the buffet with her good hand, and he's like, single hand Sue there tackling the buffet. <laughs> yeah, like one of the things that, that was that was interesting to me about it was that all the times that he puts his foot in his mouth or says something really like unintentionally inappropriate like what winds up happening like you, you expect there to be some kind of blow up you expect the people mm. to be like what the fuck is your problem but everyone just sort of like does this sort of courage under you know courage under fire sort of just like oh I'll just pretend I didn't hear that and just try to act normal with this guy mm. who's not normal at all and it's it's a very different kind of you know like I, I keep expecting there to be a big scene where people get mad at him and instead they're just like oh no he's just out of his mind that's everyone in this country whatever yeah basically um, well because it's like the uh, it's the thing in the thing in Britain where like if someone's if someone's being rude that's bad but if you're being rude back that's even worse so like when someone's being rude you just have to sort of ignore it and yeah. like plow forwards um, the most you can be is passive aggressive um, yeah there's lots of the, he has to meet Dan's wife at the sort of like hobnobbing reception afterwards um, he then is trying to meet the woman from Coleman's Mustard like yeah the head of Coleman's Mustard and so you and she's like in a circle talking to people so he grabs one of the brave people who's in a wheelchair and uses her to like push his way through <laughs> and then yeah, as soon this, as this, this, was, her- this was absolutely the peak of the awkwardness like I think the the unintentional sex party thing at the end is less awkward to me than this mm. scene this this in particular just got me yeah Nate was really white knuckling it through this um, and it is. It was the easily the most cringe part of the episode. Yeah, because he like wheels wheels her up to this woman in order to get her attention. As soon as she's shaking her hand, it just like pushes her off. <laughs> yeah, uh, just 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 uh, uh, I have nightmares. I just it's too mm. awkward. Too awkward. I can't handle it. Yeah, and then much to his surprise, the Coleman's mustard woman doesn't like him much, but really hits it off with Sonia, um, and invites her to a girls only party. Yeah. Um, Gender critical Coleman's mustard at it again. Yeah, she does kind of have the turf haircut. Actually. <laughs> she does have the turf haircut, doesn't she? She does have a straight cut fringe. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a bit where yeah, so Sonia is putting on some like joke joke glasses with like eyeballs on spring. And she's like, I'm very brave. My eyeballs fall out. <laughs> the Coleman's mustard woman is laughing. He's like, That is the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> you have no idea what you're getting into. Um, then he tries to impress her by eating a spoonful of mustard. But he also had told her previously to try to win her over that he has mental illness. And she's like, I'm going to give Sonya a number that you can call. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you need help. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. And then Alan is left for the evening with nothing to do because Dan's disappeared. Uh, Lynn is out with her new boyfriend. And um, 
uh, Sonia is off at this at this woman's house, uh, and so he like he goes to the petrol station and Michael's not there. He goes to the arcade and plays arcade games with children. <laughs> There's a great just like montage of him playing Dance Dance Revolution, um, and then he goes to Michael's house, who doesn't let him in, but gives him a cup of baked beans with a sausage in it on the doorstep, and he's like, "Have you got a spoon?" And he's like, "No." There's one in the bathroom, like, but I've no cause to use it. <laughs> um, and it's just like, there's a certain like bleakness to Partridge yes. in moments like that. He's just like, oh yeah, this man who's like completely friendless. Um, and then in desperation, he just shows up at Dan's house, who is excited to see him. Uh, at which point, um, uh, Dan's wife starts touching Alan's dick and he sort of like moves away from her. And then they put on a video because he wants to buy a kitchen. So like, oh, this is a video of a kitchen. And it's like the two of them having sex in a kitchen. And he and Alan is like studiously trying to talk about the kitchen. It's like, it's like granite works. <laughs> Talking about um, Corian during a sex tape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he's like, he's like, is that real wood? And he's like, no, it's MDF. I've got wood there. It's, like, it's not wood. Oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, so once once again, uh, man bumbles his way into an awkward situation and tries to bumble his way out of it, but is uh, yeah. everyone is very excited to keep him in this awkward situation. Oh, exactly, yeah. There's a point where he's like, MDF's illegal in America, and then Dan's wife goes, so's that. <laughs> um, Lynn shows up because he called her and asked her to bring over uh, kitchen brochures, and she walks in, excitedly accepts the offer of a drink while Alan is doing the kind of like hand-across-throat gesture. Um they go into the kitchen to make drinks and then he's like, Lynn, these are sex people. <laughs> and uh, shows her the video. She's shocked. And like making no excuses to leave. And then Dan and his wife are saying how excited they are to listen to his deep bath later. Uh, his wife goes in for a hug and he's like, don't rub your fanny on me. <laughs> yeah, it just, uh, it becomes more and more Mm. This is a swingers party. He is, in fact, sex Ed Miliband. Exactly. Uh, that's yeah. exa- imagine, imagine <laughs> sex Ed Miliband, who's teaching you sex Ed. Exactly. That's mm. how it works. So yeah, it's um, it, it's just it's just one big uncomfortable mess the entire time, and mm. then he does his radio show that bookends it, and that's the end of the yeah. episode. It's like him doing his deep bath, but he he's like disgusted that they're going to be listening to it in a horny way. So he's like just doing really perfunctory, like yeah, just just scrub yourself off. There's a coarse towel on the radiator. <laughs> we won't be doing this segment again. <laughs> so let me ask you, like he's basically he's basically British, right? He just hates people being horny. He does exactly. Don't get horny about my radio. You show. Cannot get horny about the radio show or my podcast, for that matter. So let me ask you, like, what mm. was the like overall impact of this show? I presume it was pretty popular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely more of a cult thing. Um, but I would say certainly, certainly of like people who are like into British comedy, it's like one of the one of the sort of all time greats, really. And it's definitely like I think people of sort of like my generation or like a little bit older it's like a bit of a formative like sure. i guess because it, it was on in like the late 90s and early 2000s so it's a bit of a like it's like ever so slightly retro for me like the last season of it was like 2002 um but but for that reason it was the kind of thing like when you're a teenager for someone of my age it was kind of a thing that like it wasn't on tv anymore so it was kind of like a slightly underground thing to like because it was like from like 20 years ago or whatever i'm trying to think of stuff that would be equivalent to that in the u.s and the thing that's coming to my mind like started in the late 90s into the early 2000s is Chappelle's show um Mm. which was hugely popular but wasn't at first and then got to be hugely popular like pretty quickly yeah or an animated show like the boondocks is another example that like you know was not necessarily super popular on tv but was like very very influential and like people Mm. who liked it were really into it 
Yeah. Um, but obviously those are very, very different shows. Yeah, well, it's also, I'd say is that in terms of what kind of show it is, it's a bit more like Seinfeld and it's like a bit of a comedy nerd thing. Sure, and like yeah. kind of, but I mean, obviously Seinfeld was like a huge, huge hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously ran for much, much longer. Yeah. Whereas it, the, all of the all of the really good British stuff, it tends to be like shorter runs usually, apart from Peep Show, which ran for like nine seasons. Um, I suppose we should talk about Peep Show at some point. Although I feel like probably like Americans are much more familiar with Peep Show than they are with. I don't really know. I mean, I think that people who are into British comedy would be, but I don't necessarily think your average listener, if they aren't already kind of clued into British pop culture stuff, would know that much about it, quite frankly. Because mm. like, there is crossover on that stuff, but not a huge amount. And like, it's also kind of, I mean, with streaming or with torrenting stuff, like you can get it now. But for a long time, like it was kind of hard to watch that stuff. Like, I think my buddy had like intense satellite radio or satellite TV, or whatever, extended cable. And that's how he was able to watch mm. that Mitchell and Webb look. Um, but that's obviously like not a show that most, or like the Mighty Boosh. That's like not a show that most oh, Americans. God, the Mighty Boosh. That was also popular in America you know, on a cult yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mighty Boosh, there was that weird period in, in comedy, but particularly in British comedy, where like it was like, oh, everything's so random. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, a, oh. I'm like a gay squid. Oh, you ever drink Baileys out of a shoe? Like, you know. I see my mangina. Yeah, and everyone thought that was like so funny in like 2005. And then, like, I was never really much of a Mighty Boosh person. I do like Noel Fielding. I think he's quite a funny personality, but like. Yeah, it was just very, very strange vibe. Like, I don't know. I've never Dito really got it. Dino from the meme would absolutely love Mighty Boosh. I feel I can say that. Dino from the meme. Dino, the Barrett Holmes Audi uh, A3 meme. No, actually, no, that's not very. Mm, Mighty Boosh was more like, like, alternative. Like, it was more something that, like, I mean, it was still quite mainstream, but it was something that, like, you're kind of like, your teenagers who were like goths and emos and stuff on like that that was kind of more like mighty boosh and okay. then like the more like straight down the line comedies that people liked were stuff like the in-betweeners or okay. like or like that, little britain yeah that would be the kind of stuff that you're kind of more like jock barrett holmes guys would like um, Got it, okay yeah whereas like yeah i remember that like all of the all of the like uh fucking you know black eyeliner girls that i was into at school uh were all into noel fielding that was kind of the and so i had to like pretend to be into noel fielding in order to still not get but pussy. now you like <laughs> noel fielding yeah i like him as a guy i still don't really like mighty boosh i think i was kind of right about the mighty boosh at the time and other people have sort of aged into my opinion um <laughs> which is they was just like it's it just such a weird era of comedy where, yeah, it was just that, like, oh, it's so random. Yeah, that's happened to me with music where invariably something I don't like winds up being canceled because the person involved is like a sex pest or something. And I'm like, mm. see, I was right all along. Yeah, uh, no, no fielding is not a sex pest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the comedy from that era that I really liked on British TV was probably uh, Never Mind the Buzzcocks. I really liked, which is like a kind of like panel show music quiz thing. Uh, but when it was still hosted by Simon Amstel, um, who's a very sort of like acerbic, like kind of he's he's gay and like he definitely has like a gay affect, but like not in a camp way. It's kind of more in a sort of like um, he has this kind of like Oscar Wilde kind of sensibility almost. Um, and I remember there were there's just like iconic episodes of that where they would just because they would just get like washed up pop stars on there who were like really stupid because they spent like 20 years just doing drugs like four times a day. Um, I remember one time they had Preston on there who we touched on a bit in the indie episode, the front man of the ordinary boys, one of the worst bands of all time, um, who had just been on Celebrity Big Brother. 
we're probably due a Brit knowledge on Big Brother. My God, probably have to because British reality TV, like, it's just <sighs> yeah. Brit- Britain basically did invent that particular cursor genre, um, and uh, yeah, he had been on Celebrity Big Brother. Now it was enough of a stretch that Preston was on Celebrity Big Brother, but he that year, along with the celebrities, they threw in this woman called Chantelle Houghton, uh, who was not famous but was a Paris Hilton lookalike. Got and uh, and she did look quite a lot like Paris Hilton. Yeah, you know, some lookalikes are like this is ridiculous. But no, she she was a pretty good she was a pretty good match for Paris Hilton. And they just thought it would be funny to like throw someone in there who wasn't famous but just looked like Paris Hilton. Um and uh Preston and Chantel Houghton like started having this kind of like affair while they were in there. And then they came out and got married. Now, unfortunately, even in comparison to Preston from the ordinary boys, this woman was extremely stupid. <laughs> And then, so Simon Amstel, she wrote an autobiography, which had just come out. Oh, yeah. And so Simon Amstel is like, have you, um, have you read your wife's autobiography? And he picks it up and Preston's just like giving him this like dead eyed stare. And he's like, I'm just going to read some excerpts from it. I thought you'd, uh, <laughs> and he's got like post-it notes together and he's like read out a couple already. And he like, and just saw between the rounds, he's just like opening this book and he's like, this was a passage I particularly enjoyed. And there's one bit where he's just like, the photo shoot was for the Daily Mail, which made me feel really upmarket and classy. And then, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then Preston stands up and he like pulls his microphone off and he's like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. You're all fucking mugs. And like, so, and, he, and this time was like, I'm just reading from your wife's lovely book. <laughs> and he's like, have you not finished it? I don't want to spoil the ending. <laughs> and then they just get a guy out of the audience to just come and sit in Preston's place. And they're like, you don't really need to do much. You just need to look angry and every now and then say, that's bang out of order. And I don't know, <laughs> but this guy was like, fucking, he just immediately went, that's bang out of order. They were like, yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was this, like, that couldn't be allowed to happen on British TV now. Like, all of those panel shows have now been, like, completely neutered. Like, that, Mo- like, um, fucking Mock the Week used to have Frankie Boyle on there as a resident who would just say stuff like the Queen's haunted vagina. Um, or, like, the war in Afghanistan is making sure we have an excellent Paralympic team. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> like, shit like that. And you're just like, <laughs> like, that stuff used to be entertaining I mean, to were, watch. Yeah, like, there was the one, I think Frankie Boyle was hosting the one where the, uh, one of the, the, uh, w- women comedians on there was reading the sort of like whatever documentary news reportage thing about Laura Koonsberg and Boris Johnson and she was like well they've obviously banged I mean like that's the affect of two people who have banged before and like everyone was just like oh are we allowed to say this on TV <laughs> I'm like yeah I don't really think they could do that even even like ironically nowadays because the BBC the BBC's just gotten more and more Tory and more like you know yeah. there's the, the, the haunted puppet spirit of Andrew Doyle kind of infused in it yeah, and this is kind of a thing I think where like um essentially like political correctness and inclusivity has sort of been like co-opted as a way of like neutering comedy at, like from the because all of this stuff becomes like a tool of capitalism like one way or another. And so they've worked out that that's like a good fig leaf way of like stopping any kind of dissent by saying like oh Frankie Boyle's like offensive. And it's like yeah, but to who like and that kind of but it's been a way of like just gently sort of like flattening out and like taking all of these things out of british tv under a sort of like guise of progressivism which isn't really there um which is why now tv sucks yeah i mean they definitely don't want things to be transgressive no you know you will not transgress or transgend indeed in britain yeah exactly Um, (laughs) everything that begins with that prefix banned completely absolutely banned. transistor radio (laughs) fuck it against the law (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. Well, that's the, that. I guess that's the thing, right? Like, I don't know if the, if you feel as though this show uh, would not be able to be made today. Uh, I don't find anything about it particularly like you know offensive to what I would conceive uh, conceive of as like the sort of Tory broadcasts mores. You know what I mean? Yeah. It yeah. just it, it's just it, it does sort of feel of its time, but then also it could have been made. Five years ago, the only thing yeah, is like that no, guy still exists. There's yeah. just no smartphones in it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. there's not as much internet. Like, almost none. Like, it, it's just that's the only difference. Like, it feels as though that that sort of glum provincial Britain lives on in eternity. Mm. And guys oh, like Alan Partridge is just sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Partridge is kind of like the uh, text of a, of a set of a certain kind of guy. Have I you mean, ever found yourself slipping into a Partridge moment by mistake? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain kind of, I think, partridge mindset, which is in built into almost every, certainly British man. Uh, there are just aspects where it comes out. Like, it's so it's so well observed as a parody of British society and the way people operate. Because it's not just about him, it's about the people around him as yeah. well. And that kind of, like, in that way, it's a bit like Borat in that, like, Alan Partridge being so, like... Uh, gauche and uh, maladroit socially. The like it, it, it like it showcases the kind of weird neuroses of the people around him as well in the way that like Borat does by like being insane and then just like revealing the prejudices of the people that he meets or whatever. Um, and so yeah, I mean, uh, as a guy who drives a lot, constant partridge shit. Like as soon as you start <laughs> talking about cars, you just find yourself saying partridge stuff. Um. And it's very like, yeah, it, there is kind of an unwilling, I don't know, with me. I, and I find this a lot about being a comedian, like, or at least with this, the sort of stuff that I do. Um, I'm so comfortable being ironic about absolutely everything that kind of what is my real personality and what is a bit at this point has yeah. so completely merged that, um, it, yeah, I can't like, <laughs> I almost can't tell the difference. Well, I suppose it could be worse. You could be disgraced from comedy and having mm -hmm. to host a provincial radio show and still not know what your actual personality is. That is true. I think actually hosting a provincial radio show would be pretty good, especially in those days. Like he was, he's making pretty good money doing it. Like, you know, just got to talk about your deep bath. You get paid like 150 grand a year. You drive a Lexus. Wear a lot of cardigans. <laughs> Fuck a Ukrainian chick. Yeah. Have a, have a, have a lanyard on your glasses. You know, it's mm. all good. It, yeah. It could absolutely. Be worse. Yeah. yeah but instead we podcast. We do podcast. That is what we do. Well, um, we're the Alan Partridges of our own era. Exactly. And we don't realize we're lapsing into self-parody because we're too busy, uh, well, trying to navigate awkward social situations and grabbing people in wheelchairs and using them to force our way into, uh, into the conversation circle of uh, mustard heiresses. Exactly. But, and this is Level 42. <laughs> <laughs> well... Thank you for introducing me to this. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I imagine that I'm wearing my little sports watch that I wear to track workouts, and I'm sure there's a huge stress spike on it from when I watched mm. this and cringed myself nearly to death. Mm. But I appreciate now at least being a little bit more clued in on your various partridge in interventions mm. that take place on Trash Future. It's got to be done. I mean, you know, if you want to understand Keir Starmer, first of all, you do have to watch Alan Partridge. I was going to say, I mean, that, that's the funny thing to me was... I had seen Partridge stuff before, like clips of it, but not a full mm. episode. But you referencing it, I was like, ah, yes. So basically, Keir Starmer, this is the voice. Mm. He's somehow blundering into taking a really firm position on the death of an alpaca. Yeah, that would be, that's incredibly Alan Partridge to be like, 
Look, the alpaca needs to go. <laughs> they've got TB. There's a bit about TB I know, in this episode. I know, I know, I know. I heard like, it. I was just you've like, got to kill badgers, Alan. They've got TB. So, well, <laughs> so about the Bronte sisters. I wouldn't hit them on the head with a shovel. No matter how bad the books were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So ultimately, mm. uh, will I watch this on my own volition? No. <laughs> but... I'm grateful to mm. have been exposed to it because it now gives me yet another lens by which to interpret this strange country that I found myself trapped in, mm. unable to leave. Yeah, you're stuck here with the Lexi and the director's bitter. Yeah, for more than three years now. Mm. So it's been a long time. Yeah. One day we just got to get Steve Coogan on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I mean... It, it, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe he actually hates this fucking show and it ruined his life. But uh, it would yeah. be very funny if that was the case. But yeah, no, I think well, he he wrote it, so I mean, I think he's pretty. Uh, yeah, That's he's a, he's a big he's a big Jeremy Corbyn guy as well. Oh, Steve Coogan. see, see, yeah. based Steve Coogan. Based Steve Coogan. We appreciate we yeah. appreciate him a lot. Um, right. Steve Coogan loves pussy, loves Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly, you know what? Yeah. Top shagger, top, top shagger. comedian. Hey, absolutely drives a Lexus. Can't be wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Right. Well, this has been Britonology. Mm-hmm. Thank you, it Milo, has. for enlightening me oh, yet it's again. It's my pleasure as always. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear a second Britonology each month, we offer it on the $10 tier, mm-hmm. which will give you, yes, Britonology number two. But if that is just too much fucking money, don't worry because we are, in fact, each month unlocking one of the $10 episodes to the $5 tier. You just have to wait a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear... We've got a great one coming up with Joe Glenton to talk about the army and the British yeah. conception of the army. That will be out at the end of this month. Mm. So if, if you if you really want more Britonology, just stay tuned you for that. Army guys exactly. in your life. And uh, but that being said, whatever level you support us at, we greatly appreciate it. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Bye bye.